Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. We have a number of people out of town today, some who are sick. We want to keep them in our prayers. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 11 at verse 3, the passage that Taylor read a moment ago. We appreciate him reading our scripture for us today in worship. We're very proud of him and all of our young people. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 11 at verse 3. The psalmist asks the question, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? There are many of us that are concerned about the direction of our country. No doubt many of us are extremely concerned about the moral foundations of the country that you and I call home. And yet there are many times when we look around and we see the decadence, the corruption of our nation, and we ask the question, what can we do? And there are occasions when many of us we'll simply throw up our hands and say, there's just nothing we can do. It's beyond our control. Well, I don't believe that's the case. As a matter of fact, instead of wringing our hands and viewing things in a negative light, I would recommend that there are some viable things that we as the people of God can do to change the direction, the foundation, if you please, of our country. And so you might be asking the question, what then can we do? What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? What can the righteous do? Number one, I believe that we can pray. And by this, I would submit unto you that we can entreat the favor of Almighty God. You see, Daniel said in Daniel chapter 4 at verse 32 centuries ago that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. God is sovereign. The psalmist acknowledged in Psalm 99 at verse 1, The Lord reigneth. God is over all. And because God is over all, He is in absolute control of everything. Now, it may not appear that way to us. We may question sometimes the direction of our country, of our world, but God is in control. And God through His providence can raise up nations and He can bring them down. But you and I, we can pray. As a matter of fact, the Bible encourages us to be people of prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18 at verse 1 that men ought always to pray and not faint. When Paul wrote to the saints in the city of Colossae, he said, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. And then also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse 17, the apostle Paul again recommends that we pray without ceasing. And the idea is that our lives are perpetuated by prayer, that prayer is a normal part of everyday living. 
Peter said, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. In 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 12. And so we need to understand that God is attentive to our prayers. But then also I think about the efficacy of prayer, and this has to do with the power of prayer. We talk about the privilege of prayer, the opportunity that we have to lay our wants and wishes and needs before the throne of God. The fact that we can come before His throne and lay every anxiety at His feet. But we need, to, we need to understand that prayer is a powerful resource available to all of us. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that asks, receiveth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. In Matthew chapter 7. And then also there are the words of James as recorded in chapter 5 at verse 16 of his book where James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James here is saying that to those of us who belong to the family of God, we need to understand that prayer can change circumstances. Prayer should be a vital part of our lives. Why? Because there is power in prayer. Now we talk about the fact that we have been encouraged to pray, the efficacy or the power of prayer. But then also, let me cite for you an example of prayer. Because as we asked a moment ago, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I believe that one of the things that we as the people of God can do is pray. We can pray for our nation. We can pray for the leaders of our nation. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, I exhort, first of all, that prayers, supplications, and intercessions be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in, in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants us to pray for those who are in positions of power. You need to understand that the civil government is ordained by Almighty God. As a matter of fact, there are three divine institutions that God has set up. Number one, the civil government. Number two, the home. And number three, the church. Why then, as the people of God, do we sit back and wring our hands when we have at our disposal the ability, the privilege, and the power of prayer? Should we not pray for our leaders? Absolutely. One of the reasons we need to be praying is so that the Word of God can have free course, not just in this country, but also throughout our world. There are forces at work today that would seek to undermine our society, our country. And there are people in our country today that literally despise the Word of God, 
They do not want the Word of God to be taught in a public way. They do not want us to have the, the freedom to pray in a public setting. And yet I believe that you and I, we can pray to Jehovah God. And God, as I said a moment ago, is involved in the affairs of the human family. And God, through His providence, can bring about the things that are necessary for our country to remain ongoing and vibrant. So we need to pray. But I said, but there is an example of someone who prayed for his people. In Romans chapter 10 at verse 1, the Bible speaks of the Apostle Paul. And he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and supplication to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You and I need to be praying for the people of this nation. We need to be praying for the leaders of this nation. We need to be praying that this nation will see the light of God's Word and begin making a change in a positive direction. Think about the words of the Hebrew writer. He said, Let us therefore draw boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is our country in need today? The answer would be unequivocally yes. Our country is in need. What can we do? What can the righteous do? We can pray to God. We can pray to the Lord. But number two, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We can preach and teach. We can evangelize and edify. There are a lot of people in our society and there are some even in the church, many in the religious world at large, that do not see the value in Bible preaching and teaching. And yet Bible preaching and teaching is what ultimately brings about change in the lives of people. Now the, the power is not in the messenger, it's not in the preacher, but rather the power is in the message. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then He said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A companion text would be Mark 16, verse 15. When Jesus said, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. And so you and I, we have the awesome task of preaching and teaching the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Think for a moment about the purpose of preaching. Why preach? Why teach? Because we are heralding the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are heralding a message that can radically alter the lives of people. I think about Jonah in Jonah chapter 3. You remember God had instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. And the reason was because they were wicked. You can go back and read about the Ninevite people and they were a wicked corrupt and cruel group of people. And yet God looked upon them 
and desired that they might be saved. And so he called upon Jonah, Jonah to go and to preach to these people. Initially, Jonah resisted the call by Almighty God. But then in chapter 3, God gives him a second opportunity. He tells him to go to Nineveh and to preach the preaching, he said, that I bid you. The Bible tells us that Jonah went to the city of Nineveh and began to cry out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Can you imagine how that message was received? Can you imagine the utter fear that fell upon the hearts and the lives of people? The Bible tells us that from the greatest to the least, the people of that city believed. The king of Nineveh, he too believed, proclaimed a fast. The people repented. They turned to God. And the Bible says that God relented. In other words, God averted the disaster that was coming upon that nation of people. Now there are people today that will minimize the preaching of the Word of God. But I really believe that we need to understand that the Word of God is a powerful message. And that what we need to do is make this message known in every sector of our society. You and I, we have a message that is so powerful, it can bring about changed hearts immediately. How do I know that? Well, I look at the people in Nineveh. Another example would be the people on Pentecost Day. The Bible tells us that Peter preached the first gospel sermon. He spoke to them about the Christ that had been put to death, how they had taken Him by lawless hands and crucified Him. But he said God raised Him from the dead. And then in verse 36, Luke tells us in his account of the events that transpired on Pentecost Day, he said that the people were pricked or cut to the heart. And they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's what Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 40, the Bible says, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked or untoward generation. What then is the commentary provided by Luke? Luke says that some 3,000 people yielded to the gospel of Christ on that occasion. In other words, they were baptized into Christ. They changed their lives. Their lives were changed by what? By the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, we read of a great persecution that arose Many of the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And Luke tells us that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? They went everywhere preaching the Word in Acts 8 verse 4. In verse 5, Philip was said to have gone down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to the people. Well, how did they respond? The Bible says that when they heard... Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. You see, the gospel has the power to change lives. Now, there are a lot of people in our, in our world today, in our society, 
they have the idea that Washington is the hub of everything. And if we're going to change the nation, then we're going to have to change the political scenario in Washington. And that may be true to some extent. There's a certain amount of power that has been invested in those people who are in positions of political power. That has been given unto them by Almighty God based on Romans 13. But I'm here to tell you today that the power to change the moral fiber of our nation does not rest in Washington, D.C. The only thing that can change the foundation of our nation as you and I know it is the Bible, the Word of God. And let me just make this observation. I think that one of the things that we have to do as the people of God is make the church of Christ more visible in this, in this country and in the world. For too long, the church of Christ has been the best kept secret in the world. What do I mean by that? Well, there are a lot of people out here, you may not know, but there are a lot of people in our society, they know nothing about the church of Christ. They don't know what the church is. They don't know anything about the teaching of the Bible. Who then is responsible for discharging the good news of the King, you and I? We have the opportunity, we have the privilege of being heralds for the King of kings and Lord of lords. How is it that people in our nation can make radical changes for good? Well, it's through us. If not us, then whom? If not now, when? When are we going to do everything within our power to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ in our nation, in our world? Far too many times we sit back, we wring our hands, we wonder what this world is coming to, what our nation is, going, what our nation is coming to, we question the future of our, of our fellow Americans. We worry about the spiritual fiber and foundation of this very nation. And yet we have the power to change the fiber and the foundation of this nation. How then do we do that? We marshal our forces. We pick up the sword of the Spirit and we go forward preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ one person at a time. You and I, we have the power to change things. I said a moment ago, there are a lot of people in our world today, they misunderstand preaching. Sometimes people view preaching as archaic old-fashioned. And so what they want to do is maybe dramatize the Word or, or do something that's going to somehow appeal to the masses. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to them which are saved, it is the power of God. God had one Son, and His Son was a preacher. And you just think about how many lives have been altered as a result of God's only Son who was a preacher. We need people like Jonah today. We need men like 
Samuel of old, who would stand face to face and toe to toe with individuals, whether they be of low occupation or rulers of nations, and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God has to say. This is what the God of heaven says we must do. You and I, we can make a change. That change can begin right here in this city. This city is a mission field. You and I, we have so many opportunities before us. The question is, are we as the people of God going to seize the opportunities before us? I can remember when I was growing up, people talked about the mission field and sending individuals out into foreign countries to spread the gospel of Christ. There are foreign countries today where the gospel of Christ has literally exploded, permeated, unbelievable results taking place by individuals in the mission field, members of the church growing and multiplying. Why? Because they're preaching and teaching the gospel. Because this gospel is falling on honest and good hearts and yielding fruit. Wouldn't it be a shame if one day people in the mission field view us as a mission field? Wouldn't it be a sad commentary on our country if people from foreign lands had to come here and began spreading New Testament Christianity? You and I, we have the power to change the world. The question is, will we? Thirdly, the third thing that you and I can do, we can be a pattern, an example to people about us. Jesus talked about how we are to be a leaven for good. We are to be a light in the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. In verse 16, he said, Let your light so shine before men. In verse 13, he talked about how we are the salt of the earth. You and I, we have at our disposal our own personal example. When people look at you, what do they see? Can you say with Paul, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, in 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 1? Did you know that you and I are, are to exemplify Christianity in word and deed? Our words, they should be a reflection of the Christ. Our works should be done to glorify Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, at verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. When people look at your life, what do they see? Do they see somebody who says and does not, as the Pharisees and the scribes did? Or do they see somebody who is a walking billboard for the cause of Christ? When people look at you, they're going to make a judgment call. Now somebody says, that's not fair. Somebody says, I don't like that. 
Now let me tell you, when people look at you, they're going to make a judgment. And they're going to judge you on the basis of whether or not you are true to the Word of God. They're going to look at your life. They're going to look at your home. They're going to listen to what you have to say. And they're going to make a judgment call. They're going to decide whether or not you are true to what you say you are. You say you're a New Testament Christian? Then prove it. Show it. You might ask, how? One way, by your words. The words that we use are an expression of our Christianity. And then our works. The things that we do for the cause of Christ. Not for our own glory or adulation, but for the glorification of God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he was, he was saying to Timothy, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. You show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. If you were the only person in this community that wore the name of Christ, if you were the only person who was a New Testament Christian in this community, would you draw people to you or would you repel them? Would others want to be a follower of the Christ because of your life? Or would they say, I want nothing to do with the Christ? You and I, we have a powerful tool at our disposal. It's called our example. Jesus said that Christ left us an example that we should follow in His steps. If we're walking in the footsteps of Christ, then others will ultimately want to follow in our footsteps insofar as we follow the Lord. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Number one, we can pray. And we need to be praying. Number two, we can preach and teach the Word of God. And we need to be preaching and teaching the Word of God. We need to understand that the power is in the pages of the Bible. As the Hebrew writer said, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And then finally, we have the example or the pattern of our own lives. What about you? What are you doing to change the fiber of our country? Instead of being a pessimist, why not be an optimist? Why not recognize that you and I have the ability to make changes? It may be marginal, it might not be overnight, but I really believe that if we will trust in the Lord and do what He has said to do in His Word, we can bring about necessary changes. Go back and read about the Roman Empire and see how Christianity changed that empire. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what would you need to do? The Bible says, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. The Bible then says to repent, to turn to Almighty God. Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others. Matthew 10, 32. And then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, at verse 38. God will then add you to the church. Acts 2, verse 47. And if you're faithful, the promise is the crown of life. Revelation chapter 2, at verse 10. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon. 1 John 1, 9.